The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us, our services are Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We would love for you to be our guests. We hope you consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting the donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's Word. What's up, 9 a.m.? How you, or 11 a.m., sorry. How you guys doing? Sorry, I'm still in 9 a.m. There's a lot more of you than 9 a.m., I'll tell you that. You guys uh, slept in this morning. So thanks for coming to church. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here, and glad to see you all. Thanks for coming. Uh, if, you're, if you're at church on Memorial Day, your salvation is secure. There's a special place in heaven for you. Um, well done, good and faithful servants. So um, anyway, so thanks for coming. I know it's amazing outside, and I promise I won't go too long. So we'll get you back out in the weather. But uh, glad you're here. Um, lots of good stuff happening in our church lately. Lots of things happening. One of the things that I wanted to uh, just tell you about, you may have seen the camera in the back of the room. Uh, we're going to start here in June uh, putting out all of our messages out online. And so we've kind of resisted this for a while. Uh, let me be honest. I've resisted this for a while. There's been part of me just kind of going, really, does the internet need me? Uh, Really, should this face be on the web? I don't know. Um, I've kind of resisted it, but we want to do everything we do with a purpose, and uh, a lot of churches do a lot of different things, um, but we want to make sure everything we do, we do it uh, for a reason. And so we've just come to the realization that there's a lot of people that are part of ACF that have moved away, um, that want to still stay connected with our community, um, especially as they're trying to find a church home in their new location. They can still continue to tap in online. We have people who are up on the northern slope. We have people who are deployed. Uh, maybe you're just you're, you're sick and you're at home for the week and you still want to stay connected. And so uh, we're really excited. This is a new thing for us to be able to launch and uh, to put all of our messages out online and to be able to share those with the world. And so uh, what we're going to do um, starting today is uh, from now on, we're going to be welcoming those who are watching online. So can we welcome them this morning together? Yep. Now that's awesome. That's a big deal because you know how it is to sit on the other side of a computer screen. You feel a little disconnected. So we want to honor all the people that are watching online as well. And so uh, good stuff happening. It's Memorial Day weekend. Uh, how you doing? You having fun already? Hope, hope you get out today. This is like the I don't have a four-wheeler crowd. That's what we got going on here. So I guess I'm going to church. Uh, no, I get, I get it. So we actually, our family went out to uh, Hatcher's Pass on Thursday night, and we got a great spot. So if you go early, you get all the good spots. So we got a great location. People were like driving by and looking in, you know. And in fact, one guy came down and walked down. He's like, hey, this is where our family normally camps. And we're like, us too, you know. But... <laughs> Uh, so anyway, we were those people that uh, got, the, got the primo spot, but uh, my little boy Grayson, uh, he's four years old, so we, we, have a, we have a four-wheeler, and we got that out, and I was thinking, you know, maybe he could drive it, you know, and he'd been asking me for a while, like, Daddy, I want to drive the four-wheeler, and last year we had a little experience um, with that where, you know, he, he hadn't really learned what to do, so he just, he sees a throttle, he just pushes it, and we almost, like, killed another kid, and so uh, I was like, I don't know if I want to do this again, but I put him on there, it's, a, it's another year later, so I'm thinking maybe he can do this, and he gets on, we get out on the road, I'm like, go for it, buddy, and I put my hands back, and he was real careful with the throttle, and then he starts going, and we're moving, and then he's like, he's, he's going towards the edge, and then he corrects it, and then he goes towards the other edge of the road, and he corrects it, and he just did so good, we're doing like 20 miles an hour, you know, coming up to this turn, he turns it around, and I'm like, this is amazing, and we come back, and you know, if you're a dad, this is like a proud daddy moment, right? My son is driving a four-wheeler. This is amazing. We get back to the campsite, and I'm like, Amanda, take pictures, get the camera out. He's driving the four-wheeler, and so we're driving around the campsite, and I'm just thinking, man, this kid, this kid is, is moving so fast, you know? He's our youngest, but now he's already driving a four-wheeler. Look how big he is. It's just awesome. Well, like 10 minutes later, now we're back at the campsite, you know, we're sitting around the fire, and, uh, you know, I look across the way, and I see Amanda, and she's got that, like, angry mama look on her face, and I'm like, uh-oh, what just happened? And so I stand up, and then Grayson comes out from around the truck, and he's soaking wet in the front, and, uh, and I'm like, is that river water? And she's like, and I'm like, uh-oh, this isn't good, because Grayson, like, he's four, but he doesn't make mistakes, but he has made a mistake, right? And so I'm like, okay, what, what's the situation? What's going on? You know, did something happen? And, and, he, and I'm like, this is weird. What? So I get him over next to me, and I'm like, Grayson, what happened? What did you do? And he goes, I don't like to go potty in the woods, Daddy. 
I like to go potty at home. First of all, as a dad, I'm like, I have failed you, my son. Like, <laughs> men love to go to the bathroom in the woods. It's what we do. You know, it's like, just feel most alive. Anyway, and I'm like, what's wrong with you, kid? And so now, now I'm like, I'm in a different mode, right? As a dad, I was compassionate. Compassion's gone. Now I'm just angry because you've made this deliberate decision to go to the bathroom in your pants. And so now we're having this conversation. I'm having to discipline him. And, and it, it was just like minutes ago. Minutes ago, I was just thinking, like, look how old you are. You know, look, look how mature he is. You know, five minutes later, he's going to the bathroom in his pants. Just, I mean, it's just so weird. You parents get this, right? Some of you parents are like, great, I'm glad my kids aren't the only kids that do that stuff. I'm not alone. But we're talking this morning, we're talking about something called maturity. We're going to talk about maturity. And I was thinking, like, this is a lot like how a lot of us are. where We, we go through life, and um, we probably have things that we're pretty good at. In fact, maybe you've kicked a couple bad habits in your life. Maybe you've got a couple good habits. Uh, maybe you're getting better and you're starting to control your anger a little bit. Or you're starting to control this problem or that problem. And, and so as you look at the big picture of your life, you're like, look at these things. Look how much better I am. Look how far I've come. You see, I'm mature. I'm a grown-up. But then there's like what's in the closet, right? You know what's in the closet, like, you know all that stuff over here that you're just putting off dealing with? You just kind of like, the friends are coming over, so we just kick it all in the closet, close the door. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want people to see it. We all have that stuff. And so in the Bible, the Bible talks about maturity a lot. And it talks a lot about what it looks like to grow up in Christ. And, and it always talks about maturity in terms of being a journey rather than a destination, Maturity is never something that you arrive at. In fact, as a leader in the church, as, as I'm looking for other leaders, other men and women to lead ministries and to lead people, one of the first things I look for is, is that person still growing? Are they still maturing? Like, I don't want a leader that's like mature, that has nailed it. Now, at some point, there is a, there's a line, there is like a, a transition where it's like, okay, you are becoming a mature believer, but at no point should anybody in this room, whether you're 15 or 50, say, I have arrived at maturity. Because life's got a lot to offer, doesn't it? And you have a, you have a situation where, like, throughout life, throughout your day, God is trying to teach you things. And he's always trying to grow you. Now, are you looking for those moments? Because I'll tell you, I've seen some really mature 15-year-olds and some really immature 50-year-olds. Just as much as I've seen mature 50-year-olds and immature 15-year-olds. So it's not an age thing. It's, it's this question, are you trying to continue to grow? Are you growing in your application of the word? And so here's how I would describe maturity. Maturity is simply choosing what's best over what's easy. You know that point where you go, like, I know this is what's easy. This is what I naturally want to do. You know, this is, this is a moment where I tend to go this direction. But I'm going to go this direction because I know this is what's right. And as a parent... You know, if you're a parent in the room or if you're a teacher, you know your, your ultimate goal is that whoever you're teaching owns what you give them. That they don't just do it because you told them it's right, they do it because they know it's right. But this word maturity brings out all kinds of different feelings, doesn't it? Like when I say, hey, it's time to mature, do you love that? Do you look forward to that? Are you like, oh yeah, yeah, maturity, I want to do that? Or for, for the most part, most of us are like, that sounds like not a lot of fun at all. I mean, the, the term maturity in, in general makes us think of like, let's, let's just put everything we enjoy to the side and become mature adults. In fact, so we have this term that we've come up with called adolescence, right? So adolescence um, is, is traditionally considered the age between 13 and 18. That's kind of traditional adolescence. And adolescence is this, this demographic where we're not like kids anymore, but we're not adults either. We're kind of in that in-between stage trying to become adults. Now, we millennials, got some millennials in the room? Any, any millennials? We've got a few millennials. So if you're a millennial, we've invented uh, something called extended adolescence. So extended adolescence now, um, most, uh, most people ex uh, consider adolescence to be between the ages of 13 and 30, which makes me feel great because I'm 33, so I'm just outside of adolescence. I'm just starting to become, you know, an adult according to that statistic, but 13 to 30, extended adolescence, you know, or some would call it like delayed onset adulthood, which just happens to be the same acronym for dead on arrival, right? And I don't know what that means, but I feel like they're connected somehow. Delayed onset adulthood, like, nah, 
you know, maybe I'll grow up, maybe I won't, I don't know, like, maybe I'll, I'll settle down at some point, but for the meantime, I'm just going to kind of date, and I'm going to, you know, kind of, you know, live with my girlfriend, live with my boy- boyfriend, just kind of try life out a little bit, maybe I'll try this career, that career, I don't really want to, like, commit to anything, am I speaking anybody's language, um, like, I don't really want to commit to anything, I just want to kind of live in this adolescent in-between stage, and in fact, we've, we've invented a term for this, uh, this, this struggle, and it's called adulting, you know, like, like adulting. So if you don't know what this term is, is used for, it's like this. So um, I totally paid my first power bill today, um, totally adulting today. Or like, um, I'm totally adulting today, I just took my first kid to school, you know. Or I'm totally adulting today, my kid just graduated high school, and, you know, or I'm totally adulting today, just mowed the lawn, or whatever it is, it's like something of responsibility, like where you're kind of growing up. And then, then another way that it's used is like, it's Saturday, don't make me adult today, right? I don't want to adult, don't make me adult. And so the term adult has become sort of this like optional add-on thing. It's like a light switch where we can go, okay, so it's Saturday, shut off the adults, right? It's Saturday or it's Memorial Day weekend, woo So no, no adulting this weekend, going to just party it up, you know, and, and I'll deal with everything uh, on Monday. Flip it back on. We'll see what happens on Monday, see what life's like when I haven't adulted for a little while. So it's become sort of this optional thing where where we're going to go this morning in, in the book of Ephesians um, is we're going to transition in the book. So the first half of the book of Ephesians has been all about who you are in Christ, all about your identity. And I've been saying this over and over again. If you are a believer in Jesus, then you are made new, given a new identity. You're not identified by the sin. You're not identified by your mistakes. You're not identified by your abilities. You're identified by Christ and Christ alone. You like that message? I like that message. In fact, you're like, hey, just keep saying that to me. It makes me feel better. But the second half of Ephesians is all about, so what are you going to do about it? Like, how does this actually change your life? Has this changed your Monday and your Tuesday and your Wednesday? Do you do different things because now you're a new person in Christ? Or are you living the same lifestyle that you always have? Has there been no change at all? So some of you are going to be like, can you just go back to the first three chapters because that made me feel good. Uh, But I hope that we can lean in together and we can explore what it looks like to actually grow up in Christ. Because here's a question. What if God's way ends up being actually better? Like, What if what you think is going to be more fun being an adolescent in your faith is actually not that fun at all? I mean, have you ever learned something or done the right thing and you're like, oh yeah, um, this is actually a better way of living. The people who told me this was better, they were actually right. Oh, the discipline that it took to get from point A to point B was actually worth it. This is what I want to propose to you is that when we start to mature in our faith, we're going to experience more joy. We're going to experience more peace. We're going to experience better relationships, a better relationship with God and with others. We're going to feel, you know, more, uh, more at one with ourselves. Like, we're going to feel like a more holistic person, more natural as we just go throughout our day. It's going to be better when we actually mature in our faith. And you won't know it until you do it. Just like most of the best things in life that you know you need to do, you won't know it until you walk into it and you look back and you say, why did I wait so long? So let's pray and we're going to dig into this. Jesus, thank you for your word today. Thank you for this group of people that we can come together and um, just be honest before you and, and before each other and ask you to speak to us. God, I just recognize the limitations of my words and I know that my words are empty apart from the work of your spirit in this room and God, so I want to pray for everybody here, God, those who are very close with you, um, God, that you would, you would show them something new today to apply to their life, God, that you would give us all conviction of something better in life. And I pray for the person who is far from you today, maybe is resistant to faith and to church and Christianity, God, that you would speak to them, and uh, God, that there would be something real and honest going on inside of their hearts as they converse with you. God, we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So before we get too much of what Paul, uh, into what Paul talks about as maturity, like what is it? What is it? What is the difference this is supposed to make? I want to start off by talking a little bit about what maturity isn't, um, because I think that we have a lot of different perceptions about the word maturity, or what is a mature believer? You know, I don't know if, what that means to you. If it's like, well, they go to church, you know, every Sunday, or will they read their Bibles, or, you know, they wear the suit and tie when they go to church, or what, like, I don't know what it is that you use, oh, that, that must be a really mature Christian. And so I want to I tell you what maturity is not. And the first thing I think maturity isn't is it's not salvation without renovation. 
It's not salvation without renovation. Have you ever done a renovation in a house? Have you ever done like a full remodel where you're like digging out drywall and wiring and the floor's all ripped off? You know, it's like it's just a total mess. Well, the Bible describes your life like that. When you believe in Jesus, when you trust in him, you put your faith in him, he comes in and it's a, it's a DIY project gone wild, right? Inside of your soul. It's like Jesus is like, all right, this is a wreck, but we're going to do this thing. And he starts tearing down the walls and replacing the, the windows and digging up you know, the, the plumbing. And he goes top to bottom. And this is a journey that you will be on for the rest of your life. At no point does Jesus get, step back and go, nailed it, done. Because, because we always are growing, we're always actually, honestly, if, if, we, if we're looking at ourselves, finding new ways to blow it, right? The things you used to do, you don't do those anymore, now you came up with new ways to blow it. So God is always at work in our lives, and so although we're this new creation, he's made us new, and so we're going to see ourselves and identify as Christ, that we're going to see ourselves that way. We also know, I'm, I'm still like alone, I'm a mess, you know, and God still needs to work in me to work out the, the finished work that he's done in Jesus. He's going to show me what it looks like to live that way. So we're in this like in-between stage. Um, Romans 1.21, if you want to flip over to that real quick, I think this passage speaks to this really well, this tension that we live in. And maybe this is you today. Romans 1.21 says this. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and foolish or their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man in birds and animals and creeping things. So he's talking about, okay, there's these people that claim to know God. They, they go to church, they have a Bible, maybe they know some Christian lingo, but they have not yet honored God as God. Honored him as God in their lives. And so they've ended up worshiping other things, creating idols out of the creation that God has given them. And so there's a, there's a way to, uh, to feel like you've experienced some kind of thing that may, might resemble salvation, but it wasn't salvation at all. Like at one point you got emotional in church and you kind of like said a little prayer in your head and you're like, oh, I don't know. Maybe that'll cover me, you know, or you went to a camp, and, and it was a real, it was the last night at camp, it's always the last night at camp, right? It's the big emotional moment, and it's like <clears throat> gospel presentation, and, uh, you know, you went up front, and, uh, you know, you, you, you said a prayer or something, but nothing really changed in your life, you know? Uh, maybe you go to church every Sunday, but if you're honest, you, you've had some kind of emotional experience, but you haven't truly surrendered your life to God. And so what he's saying is there's a way to kind of know God. It'll be like, hey, that's God over there, but for him not to reside in your life, to, to, to fill your heart. Because salvation always results in renovation. If there's no renovation going on in your life, then I urge you to look and to ask the question, has there been salvation? Have I truly surrendered to God? A second thing I would say is not maturity is knowledge without action. Knowledge without action. And I want to flip over to 1 Corinthians 8, 1, because I think this speaks to this well. It says this, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So he's saying there's a certain kind of knowledge that puffs people up, and there's another knowledge that results in a built-up life. So I'd ask you the question, are you puffed up or are you built up? Like, is there really like a foundation of Christ in your life, or are you puffed up with knowledge? Now, knowledge is good. So we open the word at ACF Church, we, we get together in groups and we wrestle with theology and we wrestle with what it means to walk out this life as a believer. You know, we always want to be growing and, and gaining more knowledge, and I hope that you're reading through the book of Ephesians at home. If you haven't, you can start today. Uh, it's a quick read. So we want to be reading, we want to be studying, we want to be learning the word of God, so we value knowledge, but knowledge without love is worthless. If your, if your knowledge doesn't result in a deeper love for God and a deeper love for people, it is a worthless knowledge. So we don't want that kind of knowledge, knowledge that doesn't result in action and doesn't change the way that we live. And let me just, let me just be honest. So if you're the kind of person in the room where you tend to walk into a space and think, I'm the smartest guy here. Like, do you ever, maybe, you're, maybe you're just a really intelligent person, and you're the kind of person that loves the Word, you just know all kinds of scriptures, know all kinds of theology, and you walk into a room and you're like, I got this. 
I'm the smartest guy in this space. Let me just, because I love you, warn you that you will have a tendency to replace love with knowledge. You will have a tendency and you will have a temptation in your life, maybe even more so than other people who are like, I don't know, I just know Jesus saves me. And uh, like, I have a Bible and I'm trying to get through the Gospels for the first time in my life. You know, you will have a tendency to replace your love for God, your love for people with knowledge because knowledge is easier. Knowledge is easier. What's easier, to rattle off a Bible verse or go give somebody a meal? Easier to just throw out a verse, right? What's easier, to, to know what a, a marriage actually is supposed to look like or to actually love your wife as Christ loved the church? What's easier? Knowledge is always easier. And so there's a tendency, and, and look at Jesus. Who was Jesus hardest on? The Pharisees, right? The most knowledgeable men in the land were the ones that found themselves knowing a lot of stuff and lacking love. So Jesus railed on those guys. So I think that's a warning to us going, okay, we want knowledge, but we also want love, okay? So knowledge without love, not maturity at all. You can, you can throw out a lot of verses, and if you don't love people, I don't want you leading the ministry. I don't want you, you feeding that into other people, but if you know a lot of stuff and you love people well, man, I, I want more of you in this church. I want you to multiply yourself in this community because that's who Christ is. Theology, knowledge, and love. It's also, maturity is not confidence without humility. You know, you should have confidence if you're a believer. Like, you should be confident in your faith. You, you should be able to lay down in bed tonight and go, I know I'm in the hands of my, my God. I, I know that I'm, I'm, I'm protected and he, that if God is for me, who can be against me? And that, you know, I am, I am living for God and that I don't have to wonder um, if I'm saved you can be confident that you're saved. You can go home tonight and not be like, man, maybe I should call Pastor Brian. He can lead me through that prayer again. You know, just a little, a little fire insurance because, I, you know, I've prayed it 10 times, so maybe 11 will do the trick, and then all this, you know, my life's going to come together. You don't need to do that. You can be firm, and, and you can be confident in your faith, but your confidence should also be grounded in humility. If your confidence in your faith isn't grounded in humility, then you've forgotten the price that was paid for you. You've forgotten how far you've come and, and what it looks like for a holy God to reach down into the life of a broken human and say, I want, I want a relationship with you. We need humility that's grounded in Christ. So confidence without humility. I would say this too. If you are proud of your maturity, uh, you've probably got some maturing to do. If you're like, ah, everybody look at me. I've come a long ways. Time to grow up. Um, because that's, that's just a sign that it's like, okay, no, this is an ongoing process. At no point do you arrive at, I have, I have achieved maturity as a believer and I am done. At no point do you stop. You continue to grow. I think another thing would be grace without truth, also not maturity. Grace without truth. And here's how I would describe this. Like, you have relationships in your life with people, hopefully. I hope you do. Uh, make some if you don't. Make some relationships. Make some friends. It's always a good thing to do. Um, you have relationships in your life, and some of these people know that you're a believer, but some of them don't, right? And, and for some people, like, uh, this is the last thing you really want to talk about in, in a conversation with a friend, is the fact that you were here on Sunday morning, or that, that you're a believer in Jesus. And in fact, if you're honest, you're a little ashamed of it, and you, you just don't really want to be that weird Christian that's like always talking about his faith, and besides, that just gets uncomfortable, and it's like, don't want religion and politics, it just makes it weird, so let's just leave that out of the conversation and talk about other things. But I wonder for you, like, if you are a runner, and you're running a 5K this weekend, would that come out in the conversation? Sure. Like, would your friends in your life generally know, like, you like to run? Absolutely. So why is the same not true for the God that you worship, the one that you've made first in your life? Like, why would your relationship with God not come out in your relationships with others, but your running hobby or your, your, you know, your car hobby or whatever you love to do does come out? This should be one of the first things, honestly. And to be honest, like Christians, it gets a little weird when you have a friend with a non-Christian and uh, you kind of like hide your faith over in the corner until at some point it like pops to the surface and you're like, uh, I don't know what to do now. Like that just gets, people feel like you've tr tricked them. Like, oh, wait, you, you're a Christian? Yeah. Wait, you mean like there's a God that you believe, you know, saved your soul from, you know, from, from, from your sins, and like you believe that you're going to spend eternity in heaven, you go to church every single Sunday, well, well yeah, 
It feels weird, right? Like, why wouldn't you talk about that? So I know you're uncomfortable. But to be honest, like, it's not grace without truth. See, grace involves truth. For it to truly be grace, for you to live in grace with the people around you, doesn't mean to protect them from what you believe. It means to choose wisely when you bring it up, but to bring it up. You don't want to be that person that's, you know, running around just like forcing things on, on people, you know, and like trying to fix everybody around you, but you can share your faith. And in fact, there may be somebody in your life right now that you know they're making some choices that are hurting them, they're hurting their family, and you're like, well, have grace, just let them keep doing it. But if you're going to really have grace, if you're really going to love them, then the grace that I see in Jesus is a grace that might speak up and say, hey, hey, I think there might be a better way. And we as a church, we are not about just regulating behavior because I don't think regulating somebody's behavior is going to get them any closer to heaven. We're about bringing them to Jesus. And so you might say, hey, listen, man, um, you are making some choices that are hurting you, but let me tell you about Jesus. I, th- I think this is what's missing in your life. I think, I think this, is the, this is what you're searching for in all of these things. I think what you need is Jesus. You can say that, and that is when it's truly grace, is when you involve truth with your grace. Aside from that, you're not walking in maturity. You need to have an answer for your faith. So I could say that the opposite is true, uh, that, that grace without truth isn't maturity, but also truth without grace. Maybe you are that truth teller, right? You pride yourself in this. Well, it's how God made me. I just say what I think, right? I don't know. I just say it and just, I think it and blah, it just comes out. I can't help it. I'm, not, I'm the person in the room that's always just going to say it how it is, right? And uh, you wonder why people don't want to hang out with you sometimes, right? It's like, I don't want to hang out with that person. And it's just, we need to figure out this balance of grace with truth and also truth with grace. And to choose when we speak and how we speak. Because we believe that the Holy Spirit's at work in the, in the world around us. Amen? The Holy Spirit's at work in your family members, in your friends' lives. He's at work in your life. He's speaking to you, hopefully, right now. And so our job as believers is not to do the work of the Holy Spirit. Our job is to, to listen for the, for the work of the Holy Spirit and come alongside of what he's already doing and then to speak up and to reaffirm what God is doing in people's lives. I mean, to be able to say, like, okay, I know you're going through some stuff right now, but I think maybe what God's saying is this. Hey, hey let, me, let me bring you back to Jesus, as I said earlier. So again, it's not grace without truth. And I would say this too, it's not truth without grace. Because the gospel, the good news of Jesus, it's actually good news. It's actually good news. And, 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 and the good news about Jesus always involves grace. And so if you're always just spewing truth, and you're always just like, well, the Bible says to act this way. The Bible says to do this. And you're always just trying to fix people, but you're not involving the grace of Jesus. And that's not the truth either. Anybody confused yet? I hope not. Truth, grace, both, maturity, right? We need both of these intertwined. So what's the difference? What is going to change in our lives? Go to Ephesians chapter 4. And Paul is going to pull out a few things that I think are really key in understanding our maturity. And this is such a huge topic. I feel like I could spend weeks on this, and I only have a few minutes. But let's just walk through this. In verse 17, it says this. Now this I say... And testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. So what changes? I would say what changes is this. We used to be hard-hearted, but now we're just hard-headed. We used to be hard-hearted, but now we're just hard-headed sometimes. What he's talking about here is he he talks about the Gentiles. Now, when he says the Gentiles, he's specifically speaking about people who are not part of the family of God. Now, there are Gentiles who are becoming believers in this this first century church, so that's, that's a good thing, but he's specifically using that term to describe people who are not part of the family of God, have not been transformed, have not gotten this new identity in Christ that we spent three chapters talking about. And he talks about the futility of their minds, darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Have you ever chosen ignorance? Have you ever just been sort of hardened of heart to the point that you just didn't want to hear the truth anymore? 
Maybe you're kind of on that, like, I go to church sometimes because whenever I go, I get convicted, and that's not that fun. So I'm on sort of that, like, once-a-month rotation, maybe once every couple months. You know, you, know, you guys are hardcore because it's Memorial Day, and you're here. But, you know, maybe you're on that kind of, maybe it's the Christmas Easter crowd. I just show up occasionally. But when I go, like, I, I tend to hear things that make me feel ugh, convicted, right? And so you just run from it. Maybe you've numbed yourself to conviction in one way or another. There's something in your life that you used to think was wrong or that you used to feel convicted about, but you've just sort of done it enough that you no longer feel convicted about it anymore. You've run from, you've actually alienated yourself from God. That's to have a hard heart, to be hardened of heart, where you no longer feel the conviction that you used to feel. Now, when you are in Christ, though, when you're in Christ, now you're just kind of hard-headed sometimes. That's different. Anybody hard-headed sometimes? You know, I am. So, like, uh, rule number one, married guys, never buy your wife a treadmill for Christmas, even if she asks for it. So, like, I was under the impression that, like, when she asked for something, it's what she actually wanted. Anyway, um, so don't buy her a treadmill. For, it's, not, it's not what she really wants. Anyway, I just, I, I learned... <laughs> I learned, I learned the hard way throughout my life. I just, I don't pick up what people are putting down sometimes. I, I'm a little slow on the uptake. And, and I feel like it's that way with my faith. There's a lot of things that I look at and I'm like, oh, I had no idea that was such a mess or no idea that that was so hurtful to people or no idea that I had this thing in my life that I, I've been, you know, uh, kind of rationalizing this area of my life for a long time and it's really a problem. And so I'm kind of slow on the uptake, but my heart, my heart is open. I want to ask you, is your heart open today? Or do you have a calloused heart, a heart that's really not, like, interested in growing, interested in learning, you know? It's like, just get me back outside into the sunshine. Like, where is your heart at today? Are you ready to learn and ready to grow? That, that's what Paul's pushing on. Then he says this, they've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, this is interesting that Paul brings up this one specific thing. He's like, hey, when your heart becomes calloused, you might see some of the, the product of that in the way that you look at your sexuality. Now just think about this. So he's connecting the dots. He's like, these people have become calloused, and, and the, the response, what's come out of their life, is a depraved view of human sexuality. Now, I, I, want, I want you to just think about your own life. Like, is this how it is? I've become a little calloused, and, and I want you to just look at how you view sexuality. And I think in our culture, he would bring up things like, like being addicted to pornography. And, and so it's like, well, at first, it was like I, I felt a little convicted, or I wasn't sure if this was a good thing, but it was a lot of fun, so I just did it anyway. And then, like, you know, I was a little convicted, but at some point, I just kept doing it and doing it and doing it to the point that I don't even think about it anymore. You know, it's on my phone, I'm looking at it at work. You know, it's a morning, evening. It becomes an addiction. And he's saying, like, hey, when you become calloused, some of the symptoms are going to be coming out in the way that you look at your sexuality. It may be just the way that you deal with other human beings, you know? Are you sleeping with somebody who's not your wife or not your husband? Again, this is all a product of what's going on on you internally where you get to the point where you're like, I don't know, you just kind of like, you just do what you do. This is what's going on. You, you got to kind of like test drive the car before you buy the car, right? And you just, you've been test driving for, you know, a year and a half. It's like, stop. We don't test drive people, right? We test drive Hondas, not people. So, Again, like the way that you view this is going to be a product of where your heart's at. So Paul's like, hey, look at the way that you view your sexuality, and you're going to get a sense on whether or not you've been hardened in your heart, whether or not you've become calloused to conviction. And sure, it comes out in other ways, but he wants us to look at this specifically. How do you view your sexuality? Do you view it through the lens of Scripture? Do you, do you see God's way as being better? Are you, are you receiving conviction, or have you just stopped listening? Like right now. <laughs> like I stopped about two minutes ago. So where are you at today? He says this. And I, I love the way he puts this. He says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. It's not the way you learned Christ. I, I, when I read this, I, I, I almost heard my dad saying, that's not how I raised you. Anybody ever heard that? Isn't that painful to hear from your parents? Like that's not how I raised you. I just remember hearing that from my dad when I would make terrible choices as a teenager and thinking like, ah, oh, this stinks. Because 
you get this feeling uh, that, that they feel some of the pain of your bad choices, right? And this is Paul looking at this church in Ephesus who he loves. And he's saying, this is not how you learn Christ. This is not the God that you worship. You've been somehow distorted or you've got this distorted picture of Jesus. And it's almost like I was reading in one commentary that was saying like, there might have been a crowd of people who were actually teaching a distorted version of what it meant to follow Jesus and saying, no, like do whatever you want sexually, you know? Live how you want. Do whatever's comfortable with you. Jesus will forgive you, right? It doesn't matter. So it's almost like he might be even correcting a theological problem for this, this early church, going, no, no, this doesn't look like a life that's been renovated. So we have to be honest with ourselves and go, am I maturing? Am I growing or am I calloused? This is not the way you learn Christ. And, I, and he, he says this, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So maybe some people hadn't heard the truth. And there may be some of you in this room here today and you're like, there needs to be a theological shift in your mind where you've heard, okay, Jesus has grace. Jesus forgives my sins. Jesus receives me, and I don't need to do anything to earn his love. Amen. I will preach that all day long. But what you haven't understood is that salvation results in renovation, and that when you receive Jesus, things will change. And if you are not changing, then you have to go back to, back to step one and go, have I truly surrendered to him as Lord? Have I truly been changed in my life? And he says in verse 22, it says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former man, manner of life, and is corrupt through the deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. I love this picture. It's like the picture of taking off really dirty clothes. We got back from Hatcher's Pass covered in mud, right? I just like took those clothes off and threw them in the corner, Right? And, and I was like, I don't want that on. And I put on new clothes. Get all cleaned up. He's like, take off the old clothes. That old you, get rid of them. Put on the new clothes. Now, this taking off and putting on, um, I do that every day. I take clothes off, put on clothes. You guys do this every day? I hope you do. So this is kind of part of my daily routine, right? New clothes, clean clothes, put them on in the morning. So this may be a daily routine for you. You might need to wake up every single morning and take off the old self. You're like, I know I used to be this person, but today I'm going to be in Christ. Today I'm going to be a new creation. I'm going to, I'm going to own who I've become. Take off the old, put on the new. See, the, th- the second thing that I think that changes is corruption used to be our inclination. Now it's an infection. Corruption used to be our inclination. Now it's an infection. It used to be who you were, right? In the old creation, the old person, I mean, you just do what you do. If we, like we said from the beginning, who you are determines what you do. If who you are is all bound up in things in the rejection of God, then you're going to do things that look like the rejection of God. If you've received God, received Jesus, if he's Lord of your life, then that's going to change how you live. Now, any kind of sin is like an infection in your life. You guys ever had an infection? It gets all pussy and white and it's just nasty, right? If you don't know what an infection is, it's simply when some kind of foreign material gets into your body and your body's like, this doesn't belong here, Right? You might get sick because your body is doing everything it can to fight off this infection. It knows something is wrong. It's kind of like, I would say it's like this. So let's say you're here today and you're, you're not a Christian, uh, not a believer in Jesus. You're just kind of checking out church. And, uh, and then you go home today, wake up tomorrow morning, go to work, and it's just a terrible day. Boss is breathing down your neck. Um, you might lose your job. Your, you know, your performance review went kind of terrible. And so you're just you're steaming, you're struggling, you've got a family. So you go home, you open up the door, and there's your wife. And she's like, hey, honey, can you balance the checkbook? And you flip out on her, right? You're like, why do you ask so much of me? And you're just screaming at her and yelling, you know, and the kids come in, and you're just yelling at them, and you, like, kick the cat, right? And the cat flies up against the wall, and you just walk into the other room, and you just sit down in your chair, and you turn up the TV, and you try to get your head into some other place. You don't have to feel what you feel. And you, you know, you go back to work the next day. You wake up. You go to work. It's terrible. You come home, same thing. Freak out at your wife. Freak out at the kids, yelling, screaming, sit in the chair, kick the cat, right? Every day becomes this routine. Then, you know, like on Thursday, 
Maybe you start talking to somebody at work who's, who's a believer. Somebody goes to ACF. You're like, hey, man, you just have been really angry. And they just introduce you to Jesus. They're like, hey, I, I just think that there's something more for you. I, think, I don't know what your life's about. I don't know what you're trying to achieve. I don't know like, what gives you purpose, but let me just show you who Jesus is. Let me show you what he did for you. And let's say you just like, it clicks. It clicks. And so, you know, this person, he, he prays to, to receive Jesus, truly surrenders his life. Like, it's the real deal. I mean, he's, he's just so done. He's at the end of his rope, receives Jesus. And, and this is the real thing. Goes home, opens up the door, and his wife's like, hey, honey, can you take out the trash? Flips out on his wife, screams at her, screams at the kids, kicks the cat again, sits down in the chair, and just watches TV. Now, What's different? The difference. Here, here's the difference. So he's going to sit in that chair, and he's just going to be nauseous, sick to his stomach. And he's going to feel this thing happening that he hasn't felt before. And he's going to feel like, right? Something's not, something's not right here. I can't put my finger on it. Like, I, I don't know what to do. And it's going to click, and he's going to go, I'm, I'm an angry man. And it's not, my, it's not my family's fault. And he's going he's gonna, to, through maybe tears and frustration and with like a, this, this thing in the pit of his stomach, he's going to grab his family, his kids, the cat, right? He's going to sit them all down. And he's going to go, guys, I'm so sorry. Like, this isn't your fault. I don't know. Uh, I've just had a lack of perspective. And um, I just, I need your forgiveness. Will you forgive me? And he might go through this routine over and over again. And there might be anger and frustration over and over again. He might have to apologize every single night. But the difference is he's going to choose what's best over what's easy. And he's going to feel conviction. And at the, at the core of, of maturity, you guys, listen, at the core of maturity for you is that you are becoming more and more convicted that God's way is actually better. To the point that you're not just going to think that, you're going to do something about it. You're going to apologize. You're going to make a decision to change something in your life. It's going to change everything about you. Let me read this last part in verse 26. We're going to skip ahead. It says, be angry and do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger. He brings out anger. Again, as another sign, if not if not kept within boundaries of somebody who's become callous. But he's like, hey, you can become angry but not sin. Because I'll say this, as, as Christians, if you're a believer in this room, you should be angry about some things. Like, get in touch with your heart and watch the news. And, and, and just think about some of the injustices that happen in the world around us. There are some things that you should be righteously angry about. Some things that you're like, we need to do something about this. I need to do something about this. I mean, to the point where you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to change something in my life to make this better for somebody else. There are things in this world where you can be angry about them, but not sin. But in general, I'll be honest, like, anger in my life is mostly sinful. It's mostly selfish. It's mostly, it comes from my own arrogance. So I don't know where that hits you. He says, he says be angry, but don't sin in your anger. He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. For them, uh, when the sun went down, it was the end of the day. For us, what do we do? Flip a light on, right? For them, they didn't have lights. They were like, hey, uh, sun goes down. That means we've got to stop working. The day's pretty much over. He's saying there is something that happens when you have an issue with somebody in your life and you just let it fester all night long. doesn't ever make it better, does it? You ever wake, wake up tomorrow and you're like, hey, love that person. Yay. No, no. If you don't deal with it, it just gets worse. You just give it more time to fester and become a, a deeper problem. He's like, don't let that happen. He says, and give no opportunity to the devil. Apparently what these things are, are opportunities for the devil. Apparently when we choose to callous ourselves to our sin, and just allow it to be what it is, and let it into our lives, it actually gives an opportunity for the devil to take more ground. The devil will always take more ground, do you know that? The devil will always take more ground. It's never just what you gave him. You can never just give the devil the thing that you gave him. There is always more, and it will always turn into other things in your life. There will always be more bondage. There will always be more pain. There will always be more heartbreak on the other side of that thing that you're like, ah, I'm just going to give him this one thing. This is just what's in the closet over here, but look how mature I am 
right here. Don't give any opportunity to the devil. And then the last thing, he says this, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So my last point, we used to want what we didn't earn, but now we work to give it away. So he brings up greed. He brings up our stuff. He brings up materialism. And he's like, hey, as you mature, as you grow up, as Christ comes in and he changes you, he changes how you view your, your things. And now you're going to view all your things completely different. Why? Because you're a new creation and you've got a totally different outlook on the world. You are just after different things in life. So your dreams and, and the things that you pursue are just different than somebody who is not in Christ. He's like, let the thief no longer steal. Stop trying to get things you didn't earn. Now simply get a job and work so that you can help people, so that you can give it away, so that you can make a difference in somebody's life. That's a different perspective, right? Is that, is that the perspective of the world around you? No, not at all, right? This is hard. And I'll be honest, American church, this is maybe the one biggest problem. I mean, we have a lot of problems. But I would say this is one of our biggest problems. I would say for most people that I know, especially in, the, in America where we have so much stuff, the one thing that we love more than God is our money. Let's be honest. Like, the one thing that you're like, I will get, I'll go serve on Sunday. I'll play on the worship team. I'll preach a sermon, you know. Like, you know, I'll even tell somebody about Jesus, but don't you get into my checkbook, right? It, just be honest with yourself. And, and if you don't want to give at church, don't give at church today. Like, I'm, I'm not even talking about that. That's a different sermon. I'm just talking to you about, about generosity in your life. And I just want to ask you, because here, here's how it works in my world. This is not my, my inclination. For Amanda, I've said this before, my wife Amanda, she's the most generous part of me. Um, when our bank account starts filling up, she gets really uncomfortable. And I'm like, no, it's supposed to fill up. And she's like, no, it's not. That's just, you know, and that, I'm not saying don't plan and don't make, you know, a retirement plan. But she's like, no, like we've got things in place. We need to give something away. I'm like, no, we're doing good. This is great. And so she, she's always pushing me. Like when, when things start filling up, she's like, have we reassessed like what we're giving lately at church? And I'm like, no, we haven't. Don't make me do it. It's just, we need people in our lives who are willing to ask us those tough questions because I'll be honest with you, the only way to combat greed is generosity. That's the only thing that combats it. That's what he's saying. Can God help people who are in need without your money? Yeah. Yeah, he can use somebody else or he can use their money. <laughs> That's better, right? We like that better. Can he use somebody else? Can God get the job done apart from your generosity? Yep. So there must be a deeper purpose here. It must transform us in one way or another when we learn to look at our, our stuff this way, like, hey, God has given me things so that I can give them away. God has given me my resources so I can help other people. And apparently that does something in my soul. And here's the deal. I know my personal testimony is that when I give away, I learn more about what, what money was intended to be in it, and, and I feel freedom in my heart. It, it hurts, but I feel freedom in my heart when I do it. So I just want to ask you this question. Are you maturing today? Are you growing up? Do you find yourself developing in Christ, gaining knowledge and love? Are they both growing at the same pace? Do you find yourself loving people more, understanding God more, maturing in your faith? And if not, I just want to ask you, ask you the question, why? Why not? Why not? What is the barrier in your life? Have you forgotten what you've been saved from? Have you forgotten what it's like for God to reach down and to, to pull you out out of this mucky, muddy, muddy mess and, and to give you new life? Have you forgotten what that's about? Maybe that's the case. Maybe you got saved a long time ago and you're like, yeah, I hit maturity at like age 30. Now I'm 50 and I'm kind of plateaued out. Why? Don't stop. Don't stop. Maybe what you need to pray today, somebody after, after first service came up and they're like, guess what I prayed today? I asked God to convict me of my sin. I was like, that's dangerous. And she's like, I know, but I love it, right? You want to pray a dangerous prayer? You, you, are you serious about this? Ask God to convict you of your sin. God, would you show me my blind spots? Would you show me what I'm not seeing in my life? Would you make this real for me? But maybe you're here today and, and you're not maturing because you have never really become alive in Christ. Maybe you've been to church, maybe you know some Bible verses, but you've never truly surrendered your life to him. Here's what I believe is that living things grow. 
if you're alive, you will grow. Like we don't ever dig dead people up from the grave and measure them and try to figure out how much they grew, right? They don't. Dead things don't grow. Living things grow. So if you're alive in Christ, you're going to grow. If you're not alive, if you're still lost in your sin, you've never truly surrendered to God, you've got this closet full of stuff that that are just off limits to God, today you have an opportunity to change that. Today you can go home here fully confident that you know God and have surrendered to him. Let's pray together. Jesus, I... uh, God, I just ask for your conviction. God, I know there's stuff in my life that I've just stopped listening about. I know there there are areas, God, that uh, I've tried to keep off limits from you. God, I know that I have a tendency towards greed. God, that I can can replace my love with knowledge. Do the easy thing over the, the right thing. So God, I just I ask that you would show me that. God, I pray that over this room. As, as we are believers in Jesus, God, that Jesus would come in and convict us. The Spirit would convict us of sin, would change us from the inside out, would show us the better way. And God, would you give us a deep belief in our hearts that your way is better? Could you remind us of the times that you freed us from something, that we thought it was better and it wasn't, and we, you gave us grace and you moved us through, God? Could we apply that to every aspect of our lives, God? That, that the gospel, God, wouldn't be something that we just talk about in church. It wouldn't be applied to one area of our life. But God, would be applied to every single area of who we are. And if you're here today and you're like, Brian, I'm just not sure that I've truly surrendered to Jesus. And I would ask everyone in the room if... If I were to ask you, are you a Christian? Do you know that you know that you're a believer on a scale of one to 10? Where are you at? 10 being I totally know that I'm going to heaven tonight. If you're anything but a 10, then you have a decision to make today. Because you can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you are in the hands of a loving God. I just, man, I want to provide an opportunity for you to pray. Would you just pray with me and make this commitment in your heart? Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need your grace. God, I, I know that I've tried to, to earn your love and, and none of it's going to work. And I know that, God, only by your grace can I be saved. But God, I also know that I haven't been transformed like I should be by you. So I want you to transform me. I want you to come in and do the hard work that, that would change my life, God. I, I, wanna, I don't want to just know who you are. I want to know you at a deep soul level, God. I want you to transform me. I surrender everything to you, God. What's in front of the world and what's in the closet, I give it all to you today and ask God that you'd come in and change me and that you'd give me grace when I fail. God, we love you. God, I pray for better things for us. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, I just uh, would just really ask you to let somebody know today grab one of the cards in the seat in front of you and just check the box that says, I committed my life to Christ. Um, don't be ashamed of Jesus. He's not ashamed of you. Uh, let somebody know. Let's let a friend know today. Let your wife or husband know. Uh, let a co-worker that you know is a believer. Let them know that God did something in your heart today. Um, and, and just start walking forward on that journey. So let's stand up together. Let's worship. And let's honor the God that loves us. Love you guys. Thanks.